Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. You might have some other things on your mind this Thursday uh, if you are a Portland sports fan. The NBA draft is tonight, and those who follow the Portland Trailblazers are feeling the anxiety, as as so many are right now, with what's going to happen with that pick. But let's talk some soccer. Let's let's fit that in for the soccer sickos that uh, are choosing to to make that one of their focuses today in the in the greater Portland area. The Portland Thorns maybe leading the way on that on that front. Uh, they are coming off what has been a bit of a difficult stretch for them, to say the least. You know, three one loss at Orlando, followed by a three to two really ugly victory skin on the road at a ba- skin of their teeth victory at the Chicago Red Stars, who are a bad team. Issues defending in transition, uncharacteristic issues throughout the the performances um still some signs... characteristic issues though yeah some some characteristic issues <laughs> which as are well. probably the more interesting to talk about <laughs> yeah exactly things that are becoming characteristic of this team as they you know aren't quite living up to the expectations that they have set for themselves but one game left on the schedule now before these world cup players leave that's friday against the spirit um rolling back through those two road games though chris just covering the orlando game and and the chicago game um, those issues in, in defending and transition, particularly given how high Portland's fullbacks play, you know, they're, the way that they play, the, the attacking style of the Thorns team, which they, they have said that they will not compromise in favor of these minor potential adjustments. They just have to, as Sam Coffey said, be individually better and be back and be in the right positions. I mean, that's just how, not how true. How does it shake I, out for you? I, yeah. I appreciate Sam saying that so as not to throw her coach under the bus. That is the professional thing to do. Um, but it's also just not true. <laughs> it's not true that it's just a matter of individual play, players being better in individual moments. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's I, in, in many ways, the Orlando game and the Red Stars game, even though, you know, individual things happened differently and the outcomes were obviously different. Uh, I think the fundamental issues were similar and they're fundamental issues that are not new. We've seen them before. And I mean, there, it, it is just plain to see that, that the thorns, especially when they turn the ball over have enormous gaps, enormous gaps between the remnant of their back line and their midfield. And 
I mean, if you have two center backs and Sam Coffey in that space with 70, 80 yards of field to cover, I don't care how good individually they are. They're not going to be able to, to, to manage all those situations. It's just not possible. You could have the best six in the world. I mean, Sam Coffey is not like that far off of that in my view. But you could have the best six in the world. And those would be really difficult situations to manage. And it's why you see games in which the Thorns go up like at, at Orlando, but they just lose control of because they're not in a position to manage transitional moments. And it's why you see games in which they go up like at Chicago and they are hanging on in a game, frankly, that they should have been able to put to bed, put the red stars to the sword and, and walk out with a drama free three points. They can't. And it's not because individual players need to be better. That's just not it. <laughs> and, and again, I don't blame coffee for saying that that's that's what you would expect her to say but i'm gonna stand up for the players a little bit here (laughs) they're not being put in a position to succeed in these moments because the balance in the midfield and the balance with the fullbacks is just wrong it's wrong for these game states There, there are times to play like that right and and the thorns have because they play like that they've been dangerous at times because that's just how that's how soccer works there are times where you can take those kinds of risks but there are also times and there are even whole games in which that's not the approach that's going to win frankly against a washington spirit this next week that has some players that definitely can get out on the on the counter that has a coach that knows how to coach that way and mark parsons we've seen it plenty before like they're better than the pride they're a lot better than the Red Stars. Yeah, this matchup is one and two in the table. Yeah. Right? So, like, if you're Washington and you win or tie this game, you've solidified your position at the top and, of the table heading into the World and, Cup. And Mark Parsons, who I think the world of as a coach, is, I guarantee you, watching that Red Stars game and watching the Pride game, he's thinking two... I mean, first of all, he's salivating. Because... He would love nothing more than to, in his return to Providence Park, come out with a win, right? He's a competitive guy. He would love that. He would love that. I don't think he would love making Thorns fans feel bad. I think there's, there, there are a lot of good feelings there that are mutual. Uh, but he would love to get that win. And he's looking at, at, at the issues with the Thorns, and, and he's salivating. And two, you know what he's not saying? Boy, if Sam Coffey just has a better day, we're going to be in real trouble. That's not what he's saying. That's not what anybody's saying. <laughs> that's why they're being attacked the way they are, and that's why opponents are having success here. And the thing, yeah, that's players funny, like, yeah, no, what you're saying, like with Sam, like players like Sam are being left on an island, yes, right, and and players like Emily Menges who is are stepping in for the injured Becky Sauerbrunn, which obviously is a huge loss back there. Don't get me wrong; yeah. they too are being left on islands in these scenarios where. You know, Portland's fullbacks don't necessarily have the speed and haven't had the necessary reaction times to, to fill those spaces or, or even any of the, the midfielders. Like you, you think about starting Christine Sinclair, obviously that is, that is the, that, that is the veteran leader of this team. That is a legend of the game. But in these scenarios you are talking about, 
between her and Olivia Moultrie, who is more likely to help fill those spaces and prevent counterattacks from causing issues. It's Olivia, it's Olivia Moultrie, 10 times out of 10. Right. Yeah. And, and I think Moultrie has been in a lot of moments more dynamic on the other end as well. So it's, it's not only tactical issues, which you have talked about and will continue to talk about. But, I'm going to continue to talk well, about them until they, be, <laughs> they get better. You betcha. <laughs> but the, you know, the, the lineup decisions have, I think a little bit to do with it as well. And, and, yeah, it's a it's a first year coach in, in Mike Norris that's still figuring things out. But at the same time, he he not only has to figure those things out for this team to to repeat as champions in the NWSL, but to gain their trust, right? And if he if he doesn't have these individual players' trust, many of whom are seasoned veterans, they've seen it all all over the world. Uh, if he doesn't have their trust, then it doesn't matter the amount of talent that they have on their team. They're they're gonna under underwhelmed if you keep losing the same way you don't think becky sauerbrunn's going to notice that if you keep losing the same way you don't think crystal dunn's going to notice that or christine sinclair is going to notice that and say hey maybe there are some issues here if you keep dropping results in the same way and and that's been what's happening they've been dropping these results in in fundamentally the same way the the, the issues have been have have been a straight line through through these these games and the reason i'm fired up about it i mean i'm a, I'm a lot more apathetic about the timbers frankly the reason i'm fired up about it is we've seen what this team can do i mean the team that we saw against the rain and granted the rain are a team that probably aren't as well suited to take advantage of the thorns weakness as some of these the as you know the the even even teams that are worse than the rain the rain are very good but they're just not particularly well suited to take advantage of this particular weakness but that Thorns team that we saw against the rain, that's a shield winning team. That's a championship winning team. And when you see that, but you see this one seemingly fixable problem combined with statements that I think you can reasonably interpret as folks saying, as, as you know, the, the folks pulling the string saying, we don't think this is a problem it causes a lot of concern <laughs> because that 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 will be fatal to their championship hopes if they don't fix this yeah if this issue pops up in a in a playoff matchup with san diego if this issue pops up in or a Washington. playoff matchup with the spirit or even a houston team you know in some potential upset type scenario really any of those teams that are in like the top six in the NWSL um, that Dunsky like that you're done. And, and this team, (laughs) it's a repeater bust scenario, right? Like they obviously are going to all be happy with their individual careers. And many of them either after this season or after next season are going to ride off into the sunset and be legends of the sport in their own right. But like, they got to win it this year it's 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 on paper this thorns team should not be losing out on either the shield or the championship the shield you can forgive more because of the nature of the nwsl season the parody that exists but but that championship like you got to get in a position where you win those two games and and you're lifting another trophy there's no no other recourse you know i i've never been a you know it is an absolute. I, I guess I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of with Giannis on this, where like I've never been a person who says it is an absolute failure if a team doesn't win the championship because there are just lots of things that can happen along the way. 
right? And 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 so, you know, I I think that that's what it is. But this is a team that should be a top tier contender for a title, barring a wild, unforeseeable rash of injuries. This is a team that should be a top tier contender for for the Shield, uh, for the championship. Uh, they have at times very much shown that on the field that they have the aptitude to be that top tier contender. But you look at that game at Orlando, a team that they dominated at Providence park, uncompetitive. You look at that game uh, against the red stars. And again, a terrible team that the thorns just absolutely crushed at Providence park. And you see a loss and you see a pretty fortunate win and you see the ways that those games were breaking down. And I think you would have, I mean, I, sitting here today as the thorns are without making the adjustment, I would not say they are top tier contenders at this moment. Uh, and, and that's, that is not how it should be. Uh, so, you know, yes, Becky Sauerbrunn being out hurts, but Becky, I mean, <laughs> if you've got, if you're putting, Becky Sauerbrunn and Sam Coffey on an island. Yes, Becky Sauerbrunn is like a generationally elite game reader. And and she's going to be able to kill some of those moments in the cradle, right? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like Survivor. You know, but if you're going to leave anybody on an island, Becky Sauerbrunn right. will be but the not one to all survive of them. the longest. Yeah. But not all of them. <laughs> like, Becky Sauerbrunn is not a panacea for, the, for, for these problems. Uh, these are tactical problems. They're not psychological. They're not personnel. They're tactical problems that the thorns need to figure out. And, and it's concerning to me that they seem to be saying there are no tactical problems. <laughs> there are these that we just need to be better. We just need to have more confidence. Uh, that's not the issue here. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is the potential obviously for a major reset and for a shift of fortunes uh, after the world cup. Right. But, but I think that this world cup stretch and this, this stretch of challenge cup games and a couple regular season games without the world cup players, is going to be crucial for for Mike Norris and company to make these necessary tactical adjustments in order to to have something rolling once all the the World Cup players get back uh, sequentially. You know, they're not all going to get back at the same time. You would expect the US players, Sophia Smith and Crystal Dunn to probably be among the last to get back, but you know, whenever Costa Rica is eliminated, which could very well be in the group stage given the issues or given the um, quality of the opponents yeah. that they are going to face. You get Rocky back and, and then team Canada, however far they get in, you know, you got, you got, you know, Leon and, and Sinclair coming back, Japan, same thing with Sugita. Like that, they, they aren't just going to take this time off and like, Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, once everybody gets back, they, they very much are in the state where they need to be urgent about these issues now so that later it doesn't, bite them in the rear ends when they ha- are coming down the stretch of the of the season and are trying to you know get a top two seed get get a buy in the first round and host the game to get into the championship that is the only scenario that is is a true success for for a thorns team that's the most talented in the league yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the, the, the yes the uh the world cup players is another subject I, I wanted to touch on obviously um Dunn and Smith officially on the 
on the U.S. roster. That was expected. Sauerbrunn is injured, so she will not join the team. That's a major blow to the U.S., and all of the players have talked about yeah, that. Yeah, let's pause for a second to, to talk yeah. about that. Um, Becky Sauerbrunn rocks. Yep. Becky Sauerbrunn freaking rocks. Uh, I mean, one of the best, one of the most intelligent soccer players I've ever seen, period, end of sentence. Like, one of the the best leaders on a soccer team I've ever seen, period, end of sentence. Absolutely legendary career. Uh, has been captain of has been a captain or a leading figure in this in the women's national team seemingly for since time immemorial and uh it absolutely fudging sucks that she doesn't get this world cup as a capstone uh opportunity for for her career frankly i i think it <laughs> Um, among the other injuries that the women's national team is dealing with, it makes it so that I think they're going to have a tough road to hoe uh, in in Australia and New Zealand. It's going to be a challenging World Cup. They're really shorthanded. And and missing Sauerbrunn makes them very shorthanded at center back, uh, in addition to in the unbelievable leadership capacity that she's provided for that team for so long. So short at that position that Vlatko Andonovsky is floating the idea of Julie Ertz jumping back into the center back position, which she's played before, but that is, that is some serious desperation territory if they reach that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, Ertz has a handful of games under her belt in her return. And I hope the best for Julia. She was a tremendous player in her prime. And if she can deliver on, on sort of that pre-existing quality, then that's a great step in. Uh, Ertz, Ertz combined well, paired well with Sauerbrunn, uh, in, in, in the national team, uh, at, at the six. And so, you know, I, I think if Ertz does can step in, uh, at that level, then great, but that's a huge question, huge question. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think so, but you know, I mean, that's, that stuff to me is, is even though I'm a fan of the women's national team, that's secondary. I mostly am just absolutely gutted for Becky, uh, because, there are there are a few soccer players whom I respect more, uh, and uh, yeah, that just that just absolutely stinks, and it does. It, I feel terrible about it. Yeah, I do too, and and I think that beyond the soccer reasons, beyond the teammate reasons, like her voice during this World Cup, during what is a pivotal World Cup for the sport for women's soccer as it continues to grow as it is, it has a bigger spotlight than it ever has at this moment. Um, it's going to be missed. You know, there's issues of, of equal pay of equal treatment that she very obviously is going to continue to be a voice on, whether that's in social media or in other avenues, she, her voice is not going away, but losing that level of amplification that would exist there for her voice um, when there's teams like Jamaica that are, are facing equity issues in their federations, Spain, Canada, now talking about not getting on the plane until the issues that they have discussed with, with the soccer federation up there are resolved. These, these are things that while the U S has had a lot of success 
on its battle for equal pay and, and for, you know, more equal treatment as they continue to, to fight that battle. Her voice not being there at this world cup is just bad for the sport, plain and simple. And it's, it, like you said, awful for the team on the field too. You know, it's, it's exciting. I think that a player like Sophia Smith is, is jumping onto this world stage uh, and is going to emerge, I think as a star with, with her play, just given the form she's in, given, given how she has contributed to the U S in the past and another player in crystal Dunn, obviously who has been a, a stalwart on this team for years, who won a world cup uh, in 2019 with the team, both of them being there is great and incredibly exciting, but they're, they're entering a more uncertain situation than I think a lot of people expected. You know, you, you see the commercials that Fox is running for, for the world cup. And it's like, the u.s versus the world and it's really cool production value and it's interesting and stuff but it's not the right mindset heading into this tournament i don't think i'm not even the sure the, right the, the u.s yeah. are favorites uh, without katarina macario without mallory swanson without becky sauerbrunn I, I don't know if you can call this team favorites just on no on talent not necessarily at all i think that they absolutely are among the contenders but yeah. it's it's more open now than it has been in the last three or four no world cups for the u.s and and it's not a matter. I, th- I think it's been framed oddly of the, you know, the world catching up to the U S I think that the world has always been there and has always been, um, been a difficult thing for the U S to overcome. And they've done so by way of building an outstanding program and having outstanding individual players this time, though, those things feel a little shakier than they have in recent years. And, and, there's no doubt in my mind that the U S can come home with that world cup and it would be an amazing moment for players if like they, Sophia. If Smith they can and, do it, notwithstanding all the absences, it's honestly like pretty heroic. Yeah, it would be an awesome moment. And there are bound to be throughout their run. Awesome moments for, for these individual players for the U S team. Um, but yeah, they're, they're vulnerable. And this, this Sauerbrunn injury really hangs yeah. a, a, an even bigger shadow over them than they already had. I'm going to make one more plug that I've made before, but I, I will make it again, especially given that I think there is a an undertone to Sauerbrunn's injury and the fact that she will not be playing in this World Cup. Uh, that is, the, that we are now sort of confronting the the, the sunset of Sauerbrunn's at least national team career uh, in relatively short order. Uh these the smart soccer entity, and I say entity because I don't know if it's a club or a national team, but smart smart soccer entities right now will be quietly starting a conversation with Becky Sauerbrunn about a very, 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 very senior executive position within the organization whenever she retires. Uh, you don't generational transformational leaders in a sport don't come along very often, uh, and. If you can get one of those people within whatever organization you have, uh, that is going to make your organization better. Uh, and so the smart organization is starting that conversation now. Uh, I don't know who that smart organization is. Uh, I I have some feelings about who I would like it to be. Uh, but I don't know who that organization uh, is. But if Becky Sauerbrunn is at the wheel of whatever operation you're running, it's in good hands. And so... Uh, that's just my invitation to anybody who is in charge of any soccer related entity uh, that, that you should get in line <laughs> to make sure that, that, that you have a voice there. Because uh, w- as you said, this is not the last we will 
uh, we will hear from Becky Sauerbrunn because she is that transformational leadership figure uh, in the sport. Um, and, you know, I think a smart organization would, would want that within their operation. Right. And, you know, someone who is likely to step into the captain's role for the U.S., who at least is among the players that is likely to do so um, in, in Australia and New Zealand is Lindsay Horan. And the news came out this morning that she officially has been transferred to Lyon. Um, I was told a significant sum without details of the numbers. Um, seeing some numbers now here uh, elsewhere, not announced by the thorns uh <laughs> at an amount of 250,000 euros to which may be added a bonus of 50,000 euros so up to 300,000 euros for for Haran which you know translated to dollars it's basically one for one right now so it's about 300 grand yeah i'm getting, getting to go go to europe in a month or so and it's it's slightly worse than one 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 if you're you know buying in euros but i mean it's not significantly so yeah i mean you know that's in in women's soccer transfer fees that is a significant one uh if you were to ask me whether i would take three hundred thousand dollars or Lindsay haran uh and put me in the thorn shoes it would not take me long to formulate my answer <laughs> i would take Lindsay haran <laughs> Thank you very much. Kindly. Um, so I, I, I don't think this is, I think, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of lipstick to put on this pig for the thorns. Uh, you know, that, that transfer fee, hopefully they'll be able to, they, hopefully they'll be able to, and they will reinvest it in the team. Uh, and they're able to reinforce the roster using that. Uh, but I don't think that's a, that's not a club changing amount of money. Uh, for a potentially club changing player, uh, I think Haran fits really nice. I mean, look, I, yeah, the, one of the biggest things that we've been talking about with the Thorns is their ability to to connect their midfield, right, uh, and their ability to restore balance there, uh, to have somebody who can retain the ball, uh, can help them be a little bit cleaner on the ball. Uh, boy, uh, Lindsey Haran's one of the best in the world at all of those things. <laughs> Uh, so I think Lindsay Horan would be plug and play within this team. I, I acknowledge that, that, that would, uh, make Olivia Moultrie's window for playing time a little bit narrower. Uh, and there are not a lot of players in the world or, or in the United States for whom I would do that. But Lindsay Horan is one of them because she's one of the best in the world at that. Uh, and so, I think this just stinks for the thorns and I don't think there's a lot of lipstick to put on this pig. Uh, and I am, I'm interested to see what the thorns do if they make any sort of moves in the, in the, in the summer window, or if that's going to be something that's going to wait until after the season. But I think this is broadly pretty bad news. And you know, the, the summer window is probably, as you said, unlikely for them to to make a move. But the move that comes to mind to me is center back depth, right? Because Becky Sauerbrunn is toward the tail end of her career. Uh, Emily Mangus is a veteran player as well, um, and you have Kelly Hubley, the Iron Woman, as a as as a solid presence there. But beyond that, you know, Megan Nally's a young player that has has shown some flashes of quality over over her time with the club, but 
you need more. And and with three hundred thousand bucks, if if that is what the the final number ends up being around, that's a lot of money to to throw around. And you could get a legitimate star player at that position. And the midfield is an area they could they could easily shore up as well because yes you know you have christine sinclair who is also near the end of her career and you have crystal dunn who her contract expires at the end of the season we don't know quite yet what she's going to do um you you gotta you got areas that definitely could use shoring up that money could be used not only on just one player throw it all at somebody that's multiple player money that you're talking about when it, it comes to the NWSL. Yeah. Uh, de- depending on how you, you swing it, but yeah, it's, it's, you got to use it. You, you got to find a way to improve this team for the future because this group, while it's been together for a while and has had tremendous success, it ain't going to last forever. And, and a good number of the major contributors on this team are on the back end of their career. Lindsay Horan's not though. And Lindsay Horan answers some of those questions about the future that you just posed uh, in terms of how you, if you need to, uh, how you replace somebody like Crystal Dunn. Well, Crystal Dunn's been playing as as a 10 for, for the Thorns in their central midfield. Well, Lindsay Horan helps answer that question. Christine Sinclair has also been playing in that spot. They've been playing together. Well, Lindsay Horan helps answer that question. Uh, so, I, you know, in, in, in terms of would I take the money, if I were the Thorns, would I take the money or would I take Lindsay Horan? Uh, I... I would, in a heartbeat, take Lindsey Horan. I think the Thorns probably feel similarly, too, uh, because they're not doofuses by any means. Uh, and uh, so I think, and this is just me sort of reading tea leaves. I don't have any inside information on this. This is just me, you know, sort of inferring things from what we know. But I think this probably was driven pretty significantly by the fact that Horan wasn't interested in coming back. Uh, to the thorns and so the thorns had to sort of take what they could get Uh, and this is not a pittance of a return but it's also not value you know it's not the value that i would consider taking for you know a player who i regard as as you know in the top 25 in the world yeah really top player who you have under contract or had now under contract for years but they're going to move on and they they're going to have to use that money to to improve the team in some way in the near or or far future. We'll we'll see how that goes, but at this point they uh they're plugging on with with the team they've got and and the shift of the focus turns, you know, to the World Cup. So exciting times ahead for for the US, for Canada, for Japan, for Costa Rica, all of those nations, the Thorns representing at the World Cup. Uh, Friday's match against the Spirit is going to have a pregame ceremony, you know, acknowledging those individuals who are headed off to the World Cup. Um, so that'll that'll be a fun moment in, in this last one before they they depart. Uh, do you want just a, a, a small slice of World Cup viewing advice? Sure. Watch Japan. Yeah. I don't think they're. I don't <laughs> think they're going to be among the best teams in the tournament. I, I don't rate them as being uh, likely winners. I think it's possible, but they're a little bit of a dark horse. They're the most fun team in the world. They are a delight to watch. So yeah, watch, they have cool jerseys. They have really cool jerseys too. So watch Japan. Hopefully their games line up timing wise with, uh, with being awake. Uh, Probably going to be at like two in the morning, uh, but nonetheless, brew a pot of coffee. Watch Japan. They are going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, (laughs) It's not terribly easy (laughs) 
for for the fine folks in Portland, Oregon to do so, I hate to say. Uh, they open against Zambia midnight, July 22nd. Midnight? Uh, what, what coffee would you uh, suggest to people that they brew to stay up and watch that and other games? Maybe the Bosnian beans for Yusuf Nurkic, <laughs> since maybe to honor him if he gets traded. Today, are, 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 you, are you a coffee guy? No, not really. really. I, I had coffee this morning because I'm running on like five hours of sleep after yeah. a 730 kick last night. But um, not a coffee. Guy. Normally not That's, much of a coffee guy. If me. I do, it's like a it's like a vanilla latte, some oh, like an iced iced coffee. Like it's I'm not the the coffee bro. I don't have the the knowledge of the various beans. I'm just kind of like a, sometimes when I need it, I go to Starbucks. What, guy. You, are you not a regular daily caffeine consumer? No, I'm not. Yeah. Really? I have, oh. I have many daily habits that I wish I could kick. Thankfully that is not one of them. You, you, you still have the, the benefit of youth. Uh, I look back <laughs> on the days uh, where I didn't have quite so many addictions uh, <laughs> fondly with fond memories, but caffeine is, is now one. Oh, but uh but but yeah all right well yeah all of those japan games are late too like they the the fun one for thorns fans would obviously be uh the good game against costa rica because that's potentially yep. Sug- sugita versus rodriguez right that's 10 p.m on july 25th that's doable uh, and that's can, that's more doable that. no excuses if, if you're having a late night and you, you know crack a few cold ones maybe have some coffee if you're if you're into that i'll, I'll give you permission uh, to skip the timbers leagues cup game the following day if you stay up to watch that game and and and, and feel like you need an early bedtime the following day yeah yeah so so that's gonna be tough but japan will be a fun team to watch um it'll be cool to see costa rica there there's there's greater investment in their women's soccer program now so they have a little bit more support uh than they have in previous years uh, and obviously rocky is their leader so if and when she gets back from that injury which it's looking like she's she's tracking very well to to make it back for for the start of the world cup um it'll it'll be great to watch her she's such a passionate and exciting player um canada they got a lot to prove they won the gold medal you know they they at the tokyo games they they won the gold medal they they want to win a World Cup. Christine Sinclair wants to go out uh, with a bang in in her sixth World Cup, That's which is absolutely nuts that she's played two and a half decades Cups. of World Cups. Yeah, just pure. Just if if a World Cup is being played, Christine Sinclair has been there. That's that's pretty much how it's gone for for a long time. Um, and then there's the U.S. as we've talked about, who uh, you know are not the world beaters, unstoppable force that. They've been in the past. They've got obviously one of the best rosters, but the question for me is whether this is going to be Europe's World Cup. I mean, what are we going to see from from the Englands and the France and the Germanys and maybe the Spains? Although the drama is probably going to kill Spain. Uh, I mean, what are we going to see from them? Uh, uh, The Netherlands, I think, is probably not ready uh, to return to that level. But uh, I mean, that really is the question for me: Is this going to be Europe's World Cup? Uh, it seems like a lot of stars are kind of aligning. Uh, I think this Canada team, there's a decent o- argument to make that they're past their expiration date. Uh, the U.S. team, I, I think if they were full uh, strength, you'd probably coin as the favorites. But I don't think you can say that with confidence at this point, given the absences. Uh, and so, and so, you know, is this going to be Europe's World Cup? Uh, is is the question, or or or, or you know, is the U.S. or maybe a Japan or somebody like that uh, gonna 
uh, or, or, or Australia. I mean, the hosts, although I think this is probably a, a, an Australia team that's not been as good quite as we've seen uh, Australia in the past. Uh, they're hosts and they're good. <laughs> They've still got good players. Uh, and so they're, they're going to be very dangerous. Uh, but in, in, in that respect, I think probably the most open World Cup in terms of competition that we've seen in a little bit. So th- that will be a lot of fun. Uh, watch Japan, though. They're cool. Japan is cool. Let's uh, let's shift gears pretty hard to to the other side of the Ooh. PTFC organization, uh, and that is the Portland Timbers, who they had a uh, they had a shutout streak going of three matches, but they only got five points out of those matches. Which five points Two... from three th- from three matches is not bad. No, it's not bad. It it could have, and and as Gio Savarese had put it, should have been better given the defensive acumen that they displayed. Yes, and then. They played the Chicago Fire bad last team. night. Bad a team. Really, really bad team uh, in Chicago that you watch them with the Timbers and the Timbers on paper and on the pitch are a better team than, than the Fire. But they, they, they were, were for last about night. 30 minutes. Yeah, they were. They were not last night overall as they lost two to one to the Fire at home. All the air sucked out of the stadium. Kai Kamara scores a, a late header that uh, sealed the deal. Um, some major glaring mental errors and tactical errors for, for the Timbers in, in a match that they could not afford to, to drop, to have one point, let alone zero at the end of this is a, as Geo framed it, a must win game, a must three points. If they want any semblance of a playoff spot, let alone a, a more convincing and better seed in the postseason. It was inexcusably bad for a lot of, of that match, and yeah, you know, people will point to to the way the match was officiated as as a major issue, including a the re- I mean, PK. Fo- fo- but fo- but Fotis the refs not... was terrible. Yes, but he was mutually terrible, <laughs> terrible all around. Uh, that is not why the the Timbers lost this game. The Timbers lost this game because they're not a very good team. Yep, it's they it, they at at this point. You know, Geo being the the positive guy that he is, um, he he has started to, in terms of how he's described these matches, turn a, a slight corner, including one quote last night where he he talked about, um, you know, they have a lot of things that they need to manage, that they have not been competitive for the last two years on the level that they were in the previous four of his tenure, right? That's a, that's and, a pretty big statement the, from Geo. And honestly, when I saw statement. that, I was like, shoot, I, I'm going to need a new bit for the podcast. Yeah, you can't you can't just rail on the relentless positivity anymore if, if people are going to start being a little more realistic. Uh, pragmatic, maybe <laughs> realistic in your words. Um, it's it's really a bad situation that the Timbers are in right now. They they are chasing a playoff spot in an expanded playoff. They seem like some of the players don't necessarily have the same, you know motivation or attitude as others on the field there are stretches of really high quality from players and last night was a good example like frank bully was excellent i thought in his 70 minutes he was dynamic he was dangerous he had one goal and very easily could have had another were it not for a great play at the back to to play the ball off the line yep. um santiago moreno who has been 
really struggling this up and season. Down. Yeah. Really up and down, has dealt with Dominated ankle in injuries. Half. Dominant first half, play, played the ball ahead to Bully. That was a great ball. Um, really nice touch, and, by the way. That that set up the whole thing. The, yeah. the touch is what put him into space, drew him central, unbalanced the defender, and, and, and let him put that through ball. So, that I mean, that, that's just a, a good example of a first touch sort of unlocking a play. Um, yeah. But, yeah, great first half in, in particular from, from Santi. Exactly. And, and, you know, Espria was, was physical. He was, um, he was the player they needed him to be for a lot of that match. They took him out near the end, just, you know, for rest purposes, three games, three, ga- three, three days between their games now, uh, and, and why CFC on Saturday, it's individuals are having good stretches, but as a team, they're just in a total rut and in a funk. It's now three, three goals and seven matches. Previously it was two in their last six, um, they're, they're producing some exciting moments. They're not getting the final moment. And then defensively, you know, they were great. I thought for three matches and then the wheels completely fell off in two major moments in that fire game that led to the two goals and more. There were more moments that they easily could have conceded yeah. were it not for the incompetence of, of Chicago. And yeah, those moments. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a little bit of an aside. Uh, because one thing that I thought during the game yesterday, and, I, and your comment about Espria reminded me of this, I actually really appreciate the way that Gio has figured out to play with Espria. It It's perfect for him. He basically uses him as a target wing, winger, where when the Timbers want to go direct, they just target him uh, to either win a first ball and play off that, or to make the first ball competitive and then go hunt the second ball. Uh, that is exactly the right way to use Dirona Espria. And, and that's something that Caleb Porter never figured out that Gio Savarese really has. Uh, and I think that's been part of, uh, of Espria's resurgence. Uh, I'm not convinced that on a good team, he's a full-time starter. But if you want to talk about finding a guy and, and, and figuring out a way to maximize uh, what he brings to the table, I, I think Gio's done a really nice job of, of that with Espria. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, the Timbers just are who, who we thought they were. And... I understand why Gio made the subs that he did in the 70th minute because they do have this three-game window. And even though the game against Chicago is a must-win, so it was the game against NYCFC. And that's just the position you put yourself in when you mail it in in February, March, April, and May. <laughs> then you have these really difficult windows in June where you're like, shoot, I really don't have the ability to sacrifice anything for the sake of prioritizing one game over the other, because I got to win them all. And now the Timbers are sitting on around 1.1 point per game. Still here we are in late June. It's been basically the same for the last whatever. And, and now they, you know, I mean, if they want to get up to that 1.5 point per game barrier that I think is, is, is kind of a, the threshold for a, claiming a successful regular season, they would need to average two points per game from here. That's supporter shield soccer. <laughs> Nothing on this team makes me think they are capable of supporter shield soccer right now. And so I, I mean, they haven't they haven't won two games in a row all yeah. season. Like so there point, you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so it's becoming pretty dire. And I think that was just the the conundrum that Gio found himself in. He couldn't rotate in the starting lineup because he needed to win this game, but he also needed to make those subs in the 70th minute because he needs to win a game on the weekend too. And I think Gio probably looked down the bench and saw Yaroslav Nizhgoda, 
Sebastian Blanco and Marvin Luria, three guys who, for various reasons, have all been ineffective this year. And and those are the cards that he had to play. So, I mean, I I, I think what happened yesterday is the Timbers were exactly the team they they as I think I said to you after the game they are who we thought they were. Uh, and they've had a couple moments this year where, you know, they kind of made you look and say maybe there's a little bit more there. And they've been very quickly followed by moments where you're like, nah, <laughs> they, they are who we thought they were. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they're going to be able to do some things that are going to be able to help around the edges in the summer transfer window. Uh, I think if the Timbers are making moves in this upcoming window that are designed for 2023 more than the future, they are making a huge mistake. Because uh, I, I, I think it is going to be very difficult to salvage anything meaningful out of, out of 2023 at this point. They've just dropped, they've just put them, dug themselves into too deep of a hole. And you can go back to this last offseason uh, in which the Timbers did not make the moves that they needed to make. I think that's basically universally accepted at this point. Uh, and, uh, you can talk about why that is. And we have talked about why that is and, and, and responsibility for that, but they haven't put themselves in a position to be able to win. And, uh, I think that is what you're starting to hear from geo and there's been bad luck there to be sure, but that's also just, that's sports. That's soccer. You're going to have injuries and they've had a few more of them probably than they bargained for, but that seems to be a pattern. And at some point you're not just a victim of that. But they also made some choices, right? <laughs> I mean, they knew that Felipe Mora was going to be out for a long time. They knew there were major questions about Sebastian Blanco. They they chose to bring those guys back. They chose to extend Mora. Uh, they knew that Yaroslav Nijgoda has not been productive. They, they chose to brought him back, to, to, to bring him back. And so they're not just a victim of those circumstances. They those circumstances were were brought about by choices that they made, uh, and I think they would have to acknowledge that at least some of those now were poor choices that have put them in in this position. But uh, it's it's increasingly looking bleak for twenty twenty three, uh, and I think the loss to the fire at home uh, that I mean that that sort of just puts a an exclam an exclamation point uh, on on that takeaway. And these games upcoming are going to be incredibly difficult for them as well, leading into a, a couple of weeks, you know, between regular season matches, right? Like they, they will not have Zach McGraw for the next three games. He is going to play, be playing for Canada in the gold cup, you know, congrats to Zach. That's obviously an incredible accomplishment. He, I think deserves it. He's playing a position that Canada needs and he's honoring his, you know, family through it. You know, his mom is from Canada. They went up to Canada every Christmas. It's a really cool story. He likes hockey. He likes uh, Wayne Gretzky. And, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) I think he's really playing. He probably has to say that, that he likes Wayne Gretzky (laughs) in order to get into the team. Yeah. So they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. They nod their heads. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Like if Leo Messi had a Canadian grandparent and he was like, yeah, but I hate Wayne Gretzky. They'd be like, no, thanks. (laughs) Not interested. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. For, I hate Wayne Canadians. Gretzky and maple syrup. They'd be like, "Smell you later. Good yeah. luck with Argentina." Yeah, quote unquote, <laughs> the World Cup champs. Uh, it's going to be really tough for the Timbers without McGraw. He he has been 
really the savior for them defensively in a lot of moments, but he's also just been one of their most solid and consistent players. He is somebody that in the coming years, as as older players continue to to come out of the fold as as Diego Chara gets up there in years, I could totally see down the road Zach McGraw being the captain of this Timbers team. And if he's not on the Timbers, being the captain of another team that he's on, right? So he's a crucial presence. And we have seen that the other option at that position, the only currently other option at that position, Larry Smabiala, his career is, is over a hill right now. He's at a point now where Timbers he cannot chose to bring contribute. him back too. Yeah. And, and they also chose to, in the summer or excuse me, in the previous transfer window, um, they chose to continue their pursuit of a single center back that they want. That's going to be at a higher number. That's going to be a, a more higher quality player. They chose to continue that pursuit into the summer window and not sign somebody else, even in a holdover type position to help out there yes eric miller can scoot over to that spot he's more effective as a fullback yes they have tyler clegg and t2 who they could maybe bring up if they wanted to but he's young he hasn't really had an opportunity to to prove himself at this level yet and that's not a fair position to put clegg in to put those kinds of expectations on him no they needed somebody that was like an mls journeyman or, or like a holdover type player for the remainder of the season to patch that hole and Right now, that's not even remotely in the cards. And again, you know, it's they, not like these needs were a surprise. They, no, they, they, they talked they, openly about these needs at the beginning of last offseason. Yeah, they put and themselves they just in fill. an incredibly difficult position transferring to Iloma like right before the season started uh, because that left a gap that they did not have an immediate salve for. And, and they still don't. And so that position is important, but it's not the only one that they have issues at. You know, the striker spot comes to mind and it's exciting that Felipe Mora is coming back. We wish him the best in his health and his endeavors as he returns to the team, but he's not going to change your, your fortunes up there. I think Frank Bowley has been good, but yeah. he's not a guy that's really your long-term answer there. Some some flowers for, for Frank Bowley, who I think has, has, you know, certainly went through an adjustment window as, as you would expect. Um, but all told, given the nature of the acquisition, I think the Timbers have got to feel pretty good um, about what they've gotten from Bowley. But as you said, probably not a long-term solution. And doesn't, I mean, you know, he, he has been an effective striker, but he hasn't been dominant. Uh, and, he, and he hasn't been sort of the force at that position that, that you know, they need for the long term. Uh, that said, that's not a criticism of a bully. I think he's acquitted himself well. Uh, I think, you know, there will be, depending on the salary cap numbers and that kind of things, the, those kinds of things, there could be even an argument for bringing him back in 2024. Uh, to compete for for some minutes uh, in in a depth capacity or some other capacity, but uh, you know, I mean, he's he's not going to win MLS MVP, right? He's not going to be a best eleven level striker. Uh, and if you have a DP spot open, as we know they are going to in the probably both the summer and winter transfer windows, uh, then you would be looking to do to to bring in a best eleven level player there. Right. And the interesting thing, too, about how, you know, the the discussion has shifted in terms of, of their plans for this window is that, yes, you know, the center back remains the first priority. That's going to probably get done first. Gio said that it's uh, going to happen soon, quote, for real this time earlier this week, which I thought was pretty funny. Once again, uh, like, <laughs> Gio's taken all my bits. <laughs> yeah. 
all the bits are uh, all the bits are being taken from Mr. Savarese. But <laughs> the uh, the second move that they have discussed privately, or you know, have been discussed by people over the last couple of weeks, is a DP on the wing, like a young DP winger, and that's compelling because you know the the immediate need everybody has talked about has been number nine, but that's the type of move that you're preparing for some changes in an area that you feel like you have a decent amount of depth that you feel like right now you don't necessarily need a player there. They'd like to have Jimmy Chara healthy and that would, that would bring their, that position to full strength. But that to me is a signal that maybe, you know, Jimmy Chara is not long for a Timbers uniform. That's a 2024 move that they now are thinking about next year and that this is a person that would be key to their future plans at that position. Um, and, and the other type of player that's been discussed is like a, a midfielder type player, perhaps a holding midfielder to, to hang on to for the rest of the season is what has been talked about. Those three things, if you, if you get them done, would be good additions, but it's not going to save 2023 by a long shot, particularly that young DP on the wing who you would not expect to arrive nearly as quickly as this uh, mysterious unnamed center back who they have been hotly pursuing as their top priority. And all of those, each of those three moves make sense to me, make perfect sense. Uh, you're, you're bringing in a center back because that's both a an immediate and a long-term area of need. And it sounds like the the player that they're pursuing there would be an immediate and hopefully long-term solution uh, at that spot. They're bringing in a young DP, uh, a player whom you don't want to put a ton of expectations on immediately uh, in a position where they don't have an immediate need, uh, but they are likely to have a medium-term need. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and they just they just need another body in central midfield, right? I mean, with, with Ajala uh, and uh, with uh, Williams and Down, they just need somebody else who can play as a six or an eight, uh, and uh, and and especially with Jimmy Chara out too, right? Because he was sort of the break glass in case of emergency option uh, in in central midfield, and even he uh, is not going to be back for a few more weeks. Yeah, and they signed Kalaskan, too, to a first-team yeah, deal. And, and he hasn't even seen the field since he signed. And, so you know, I mean, again, you don't want to be putting first-year pros into a spot where you're going to be relying on them for, for major minutes unless they really show that they're ready for that. And I don't think Kalaskan has done that. He's had some nice performances. Uh, but I haven't seen anything from him that says, that guy's ready to play regular MLS minutes and maybe the most important position on the field. So, you know, I, I, I think that that is a perfectly sensible uh, move to make. So if they can get all of that done, and that is a, as we've discussed a lot, that is a, a fair if. <laughs> like, don't discard that if. That's an important if. Uh, but if they can get all of that done, I, I think that's a pretty sensible window. Of course, assuming that the players that they, whom they sign are actually good and all of that, the small matter there. But I, I think in terms of a, a conceptual sort of roadmap for a window, that makes sense. Also, that window is not going to save 2023. Like those additions, even if they all go well, are not going to save 2023. Uh, I just don't think there's a, a, you know, horse or knight on a white horse or whatever uh, 
coming over the hill. Like Gandalf isn't coming over the hill. Uh, Knight in shining armor. Knight in shining armor. You know, I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. uh, Death rides. Death rides on a pale horse. So maybe you don't want that to be coming over the hill. I mean, that (laughs) probably is coming over the hill. Uh, (laughs) But uh, but I mean, there are none of those 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 things coming in this window. uh, I think it appears. And frankly, I think that is a perfectly justifiable approach uh, for for the Timbers. It's it's all it's also a moment where need to acknowledge what the reality of 2023 is. Now the question is whether the the struggles in 2023 are going to lead to other changes within the club. I don't think we know the answer to that. I'm a little bit skeptical that we're going to see major personnel changes in coaches and GMs and that kind of thing uh, coming out of this year. Oh, just because of the nature of the contracts, Ned Grabovoy's new in the role. Uh, Gio Savarese just got a big extension last year. Uh, I think it would be a little bit surprising if we saw major changes. But look, I mean, anytime you have consecutive seasons that go poorly, that's going to be a question. That's just sports. Uh, if if you don't like that, don't get into sports because that's just how it goes. Uh, and, yeah, and you also have to factor in and, you know, people can walk and chew gum at the same time. But ownership right now, Merritt Paulson has other things on his mind undoubtedly yes i'm sure he's frustrated and pissed off with the results with the timbers but i i don't think that potentially hiring a new coach or a new gm is is terribly high on his list especially given the recent nature of ned's hiring especially given the the extension as you said um right now he's he's looking to sell the thorns theoretically and is working on on that behind the scenes we i have pushed for more information on that front and have not received it i can tell listeners that plainly um that they they have not provided (laughs) updates on how how that sale is going but it is a, a major priority for merit he he also um in a lot of ways has has been having to come to terms with the differences in his his role too. This is not to say that all of these things are going to get in the way of him making necessary potential changes to the Timbers if they need it. There, There is a sense, though, around this team, and, and this is by no means a, an undercutting or, or a, you know unfair criticism of Gio Savarese, but there is a sense with within this team that there are some guys that, you know, I don't want to say tuned out, of, of the, the voices that they're hearing, but they definitely are not always living up to the standard that, that geo purports to, to have for, for the team right now. And there, second there were stretches last night that were just absolutely inexcusable from guys who, you know, during this stretch of quality play were, were really solid. Like the back line on that first goal for, for Chicago, the first 10 minutes just, were really rough. It was horrific. It was just one across of the, the board. worst communications I've seen all season. Um, there, there were moments too, and, and I don't want to go too long on this, but like Evander probably had his worst game in a Timbers uniform last night, most notably the moment where it was like five on two or four that on two. And there were two, there were like guys on either side of him and it just, he chewed it up at his feet. Those, those lack the lack of focus in those scenarios, um, and, and the lack of attention to detail in some of those defining moments of the match is a sign of, of weakness in a team's culture. It's not something that just happens 
just be, by the the bounce of the ball or the the cut of the pitch as as our friend Mike Norris might might put it but um it, it's stuff that happens because you've got a problem and if they don't address those problems you're right this season is toast it, it's like the second half at Kansas City right it was it was a game that the Timbers were in at halftime it was a really important game given where they are they needed the points uh and they came out again and laid an egg in the second half and I agree with you entirely that 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 happening repeatedly in those sorts of circumstances speaks to deeper issues with respect to sort of the culture within the team. I think I said that at the time in the Kansas city game. Uh, and I stand by it now uh, that that is, those aren't great signs when you're, when you're having those kinds of poor performances without a whole lot of venom in them in those circumstances. I, I really, I really respect Gio Savarese's overall time. Uh, with the Timbers, uh, I think I, I think he's you know he's made two MLS Cups, one MLS's back tournament, which I you know regard as being roughly equivalent to a U.S. Open Cup. Uh, he's he's had some real successes uh, in in his time in Portland, and and I I think this doesn't take that away. Uh, but do I have concerns that that maybe the 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 sermons have gotten a little old? Uh, and, and that it's it's time for for a you know a new shepherd for the flock. I think that's possible. Uh, I also think there 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 are probably changes that need to be made to the flock. Uh, in, in in addition, and, and and so I think you can talk about those two things at the same time. Uh, but do I think it will happen uh, this year? I, I I lean toward no. But I mean, these are the the conversations that are just inevitable. Uh, that and that happen everywhere in sports when you have a couple seasons like the Timbers have had the last two years. Timbers play NYCFC 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. First time uh, playing them at Providence Park since MLS Cup uh, 2021. We don't want to necessarily remind too many folks of that. The range of emotions on that day was pretty insane, not to mention the weather. (laughs) Speaking, (laughs) though, of hashtag narratives... Yes. Uh, Felipe Mora may make the bench for that game. He might. And what a narrative that would be given his heroics in that MLS Cup game, right? That he could make the bench and and come back on the field uh, for the first time in a long time uh, for the Timbers. Um, Hoping, hoping to see that, honestly, because as as a journalist, I... Something to write about, right? I need the narratives, (laughs) You need to give me something. Give me something. When when things are ugly and uh, the the answers are a little short and the losses are frequent, things like this are fun and they're nice and they make me feel good. They make the team feel good. It leads to more compelling and interesting things. Only so many stories you can write about Tega Ikoba scoring in Atlanta. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's... I love the positivity. That's all I'm going to say. So let's let's seek more of it, despite the challenges that the Timbers face. You want you want um, to know something uh, that I think will will surprise some folks? Yes, I also love the positivity. I would really? love. I would, <laughs> I would love to have to to be able to talk, you know, about great stuff uh, with the with the Timbers. I would love that more than anything. Uh, but such as it is. <laughs> That's duly noted. the the perception from people who may follow this this man on Twitter, they they may they may con- possess a different perception. But he will retort as he's about to speak up on on the matter that when it comes to the Timbers, 
hasn't been as, as much positive to, to really throw out there. There has look, those three games were good, but yes, the analysis is negative because the facts are largely negative. There you go. So again, Timbers on Saturday, 7.30 on Apple TV with MLS Season Pass uh, and the Thorns, 7.30 on Friday against Washington Spirit. The send-off game for the World Cup players, a little ceremony before the game. That one's going to be streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to uh, follow us on Twitter at SoccerMaidenPDX, at Chris Reifer, and at Ryan T. Clark. Like us and subscribe to us wherever we get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Uh, tweet us questions if you have them for next week's pod. We would be happy to happy to receive them. Might put out a little uh, a little signal on Twitter to to get some of those so we can you know get to, to the things that you guys are curious about. So thanks again for joining us. We will see you next week.